Hi, and welcome to Journeys to Belonging podcast with host Dr. Eileen Winokur, featuring awesome educators and leaders who share their journeys, advice, and personal stories about feeling a sense of belonging. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Belonging. On this episode, I, my guest, well, as soon as I watched my guest's TED Talk, I knew I had to invite her on my podcast. That was several months ago, and now we finally, yay, have a chance to chat about her journey to belonging and how she's using that experience to shape how others view diversity, equity, and inclusion in the world of engineering. I'm so excited for her to share her professional belonging story. Welcome to the podcast, Megan Pollock. Thanks, Eileen. I'm excited to be here with you, and I'm uh, thrilled that you love my uh, that you loved my TED talk. <laughs> yeah, and I forgot to ask before we started. I always ask how to pronounce people's names. So did I get it right, or uh, did I miss yep, it? Megan Pollock. Yes, and my pronouns Perfect. are she or they. Perfect. Okay, good. Yes. And thanks for adding your pronouns. I don't usually ask that, but I'm glad that you mentioned it. So I didn't really say too much. I gave people a little bit of a hint about why I asked you on the podcast, but I'd love for you to share uh, about you. What, what are you up to and, and um, you know, all about the things that you're involved in? Oh, thanks. Well, so first of all, I live in Dallas, Texas, and um, although pre-pandemic, I really just had my stuff here. Um, I used to travel weekly, um, speaking mm -hmm. and teaching across the mostly the U.S. and around the globe. But um, been home for two years, although travel is picking it back up. So I'm excited about that. Uh, but I am born and raised in Texas, and you know my experience growing up in the South has certainly shaped my worldview and given me lots of opportunities to. Reach other people and their journeys to uh, not only belonging, but journeying to helping other people find belonging and um, wow. the environments in which they live, serve, and work. Uh, so a little bit about my background. I'm an engineer by training. My degrees are in computer science, master's electrical engineering. Um, I work for Texas Instruments as an engineer, mm -hmm. and I worked on a technology where we use little tiny, tiny mirrors, like one atom thick of aluminum mirrors to create projected images. Uh, so you could use that, see that technology at the movie theaters, you would see it um, in like your car's head up display. So when it projects something there, um, if you've got a projector in your conference room, there's a good chance that that might be a DLP projector. Mm -hmm. um, and then I shifted gears from widgets to workshops back in 2009 um, to study and work on my doctorate. I was really focused on and remain focused on how do we increase the participation and the feelings of belongingness for women and people of color within engineering and other technology firms. Um, after my experience working as an engineer, I really wanted to change the culture. I wanted to help create a culture where people who have been traditionally marginalized and excluded um, not only want to participate and choose engineering, but also feel valued and affirmed in those spaces. 
And so um, for the past 12 years or so, um, I guess going on thir uh, 13 years, ah, I gotta increase my numbers here. Past 13 <laughs> years, I have been working um, with educators and with people in industry to help them understand how do we change the, the culture and the climate of, of our environments, whether we're in learning pathways, we're in workforce pathways for people to be successful. Mm -hmm. um, I, my company is called Engineer Inclusion, and I uh, have been on my own as an independent consultant and business for um, about two and a half years now, although I've been consulting altogether since 2009. And so I work with companies, I work with um, organizations, institutions, educational institutions as well, and help them intentionally and systematically and strategically engineer equity and inclusion into their environment so that both the employees are supported and the community is as well. And so that's a little bit about me. Yes. Life. Yeah. And a perfect example of what I call professional belonging, which is this idea that we also need to feel that sense of belonging where we work and who we work with and how we're, how we're valued and so forth. So I'm really excited to get into that. So uh, the first question I always ask my guests is when I say the word belonging or feeling a sense of belonging, what's the first thing that comes to mind? When I hear the word belonging, I feel the sense of, of, of feeling valued, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not only a, like, do I belong in this space? But one of the things that I've thought about in my work is like, you know, I'm, some people have accused me of being hard-headed and um, I can force belonging in a lot of places, but that's very different than feeling like I belong. Right. Sure. And so when I think about the word belonging, it's, it's, it's a, it's that feeling that you get when you're in a space, when you feel valued, you feel affirmed in your identity and you feel welcome and included. Uh, so that's what comes to mind when I think about belonging. Not that force fit, it's that truly invited fit. Right, right. Brene Brown talks about it. You know, it's not about fitting in and sort of molding yourself the way you think that other people want you to be molded in order to be able to be part of that group, but definitely to be your authentic self and still be affirmed and valued, just like you were saying. So, so yeah, so that, that's really important. You, you shared in your TED talk about belonging and why that word is really, or that sense of belonging is so important to you, um, especially in the field of engineering. And we talk about the lack of, of women and marginalized, uh, other marginalized in, you know, in, in the engineering world. And so can you share that story that you shared in your TED Talk? And I want to tell you that and tell the listeners that your TED Talk drew me into getting in contact with you. But also I listened to it again today and it had as much meaning today as it did the first time I watched it. So I, I definitely I will put the link in the show notes. I want people to watch it. But can you sort of share that that part of your journey? Yeah, Absolutely. You know, I, like many people, start their journey to their career um, at 18, you know, when we start college. Mm -hmm. And 
um, you know, I was in a pretty special program and it was called Women in Engineering. It was funded by Texas Instruments. So the whole goal was to take women who were majoring in math and computer science at the Women's University, pay for their school, give them internships, and, and then also get a master's in electrical engineering. Mm-hmm. And so I was in this program from the beginning. Like I always knew I was going to be a TIer. Um, and, and so I have always, still to this day, I still feel like a TIer at heart. And I had many internships at TI. So over the course of my three degrees, I've had four internships at TI. When during my master's program, I um, interned for my thesis and then I worked full time for that group afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a really hard time of our economy, right? So that was around 2008, 2009. Oh, wow. Yes. And, um, <clears throat> and so my first day like full time. And I had been only, I'd only been gone like three months. Cause I had like left to finish writing. And then I came back to start. Um, I actually came back to start early. I wasn't supposed to start until January, but I was so anxious to get started. I said, can I please start in October? So I started in October and I show up on a Monday and they had laid off or they had shut down an entire business group. They hadn't laid anyone off yet. And so like the, the tone of the space was really mm. heavy that day. And so uh, one of my colleagues whom I had met during my internship saw me in the hallway and he says, Megan, what are you doing here? And I was like, it's my first day. I'm so excited. And he looked at me. I'm like, he said, you don't deserve to be here. Oh my gosh. You were only hired because you're a pretty little girl. (gasps) Now this has stuck with me. I remember the moment. I remember, I know who exactly who he is. Um, I remember being in utter shock because I was thinking like, what do you mean? I don't belong here. Like I've spent six months here. Uh, My work has been here. I'm cum laude student. Like, um, what do you, like, I was so in my head, I just couldn't understand what he meant. Like I don't belong there. And, you know, I have always been the kind of person that I will force myself to belong in whatever place. Like I will, Mm -hmm. I didn't realize at the time, but I would adapt and assimilate in ways because to survive. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Um, and so when he said that to me, I, I, I don't remember if I said anything, I'm pretty sure I didn't. Cause I did, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had the vocabulary at that time in my life to speak truth to power because mm-hmm. I had to work for him. Right. Like, uh, mm-hmm. he had power over me. And, um, so that was that moment and it has stuck with me forever. Right. And so it just planted this really heavy seed of doubt of like, well, do I not belong here? Cause I already had like a sense of like, well, I'm not like everyone else. I'm a woman. Right. Most everyone else is a man. Um, I remember when I, on my like first day also, so this was the beginning, um, actually probably it was my first day of my co-op with this group, but we all went to lunch and they're, um, all talking about, they were talking about the office, you know, the TV show, the office. Oh yes. And they were talking about all these pop culture things. And I was lost because I, at that time in my life, I did not watch TV. And, um, and I was just like, I really don't fit in because I don't know anything that they're talking about. And, um, they're like, well, what do you do? And I was like, well, I'm working on a documentary right now about a trip to West Africa. And, And they're just like, I was like, I am an alien to them. 
And so from that moment, like I started watching The Office. Um, I had never cursed before, but I started cursing and I'm really good at it now. So don't worry. <laughs> but I started cursing just to fit in with them. And I like had to watch more football than I ever wanted to. And so it was this whole, like, I had to take on this act of like, I need to fit in with my teammates. Mm-hmm. I can't I had to find a way to belong. So fast forward a few years, I had left industry and I had started my doctorate and I was at an engineer without borders conference. Um, I'd been invited to speak there. And I remember also like this visceral feeling similar to my exchange with the guy on my first full day as an engineer. Um, I'm sitting there and I walk in and I'm like, had this great conversation with everyone at the table around me. And then like the lights dim and like the conversation, you know, on the podium gets going and I'm just enthralled. Like I am so just fueled by everything that the speakers are saying. And then like this feeling like washes over me and I, it was foreign. It was really foreign. And I was like, what is this feeling? You know? And I I just kind of start looking and looking around and I realize like every person at the table around me is a woman. I look around the room and there are so just like a sea of faces of different races and gender identities. And um, it was all of this beautiful diversity. And I realized in that moment, I was like, I now belong. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time in about a 10 year journey of trying to become and becoming an engineer and being an engineer that I finally felt valued and affirmed. And it was really a pivotal moment for me that I will never forget because it is my goal to help people find that sense of belonging way sooner in their careers. They shouldn't have to be 10 years in before they, they have this sense of feeling. And, you know, I, I will note that a colleague of mine, um, you know, watched, he watched my TED talk. Um, and he, he's an engineer and he said to me afterwards, um, he sent in an email. I'm going to read a quote here from him. He said, I worked in a male dominated engineering industry, oil and gas. We had female engineers all the way back to the eighties. We had female engineers. I never saw them treated differently, but I never thought about how they might feel in that environment. And to me, when Tommy told me that and and wrote that in the email, like it was such a beautiful aha moment of like, this is the work I'm doing, right? Like I'm helping people. And and this guy, he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. He's probably was wonderful to work with Mm -hmm. as an engineer, but so many people like him, when you have that dominant culture, when that dominant identity of space, you fit in, you belong. And so it's helping people like him, like myself as a white woman, think about the ways in which we can facilitate and enable belongingness for everyone around us, because mm-hmm. we can, right? And so that's really the heart of my work, is helping people have those moments to not only change the environment around them, but change the way our institutions and our systems are established, the policies and procedures so that we can better facilitate, enable, and structure belongingness for everyone, regardless of their identities. Right, yeah. That's so interesting that his perspective and his, you know, he had this insight that he he wasn't, he was just doing, he wasn't being intentional. And certainly he wasn't intentionally doing anything he shouldn't be doing, but and he wasn't intentionally 
making sure that everybody felt comfortable at the table. I have an interesting question. I'm not sure if you have an answer for it or not, but you, you talked about engineers without borders. And for our listeners who don't know what that is, maybe you can just explain a little bit about it. But you said that the atmosphere was different when you, when you were there than in the corporate world of engineering. Do you think it was because of the nature of the organization engineer without engineering without borders or, or just it happened to be that that group of people got together? So I, I, that's really the only thing I've ever done with Engineers Without Borders. And that was the Engineers Without Borders Canada. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that group may be different than the US-based group. I don't know, Could but be, yeah. I, mm -hmm. I can suspect that that kind of organization attracts people who have a desire to make a social difference. So probably everyone's heard of Doctors Without Borders, right? It's the mm -hmm. same concept of using engineering design and collaboration to serve uh, populations, you know, where there's, you know, a heightened need. Um, and so I think that that particular conference, just the, the team of organizers, whoever they were, like, they just, it attracted a really diverse group of people, right? It wasn't the standard group of, you know, white men <laughs> that had the dominate culture, the, the culture of engineering. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And in, in the corporate world, I know, that, again, with, with STEM and trying to encourage more women to get into engineering and, and STEM-related jobs, is it, is it still as much? I know you're doing this consulting work, and it's, it's really important. Is it still as dominated? And yeah. yes. And what are the kinds of reactions? So I want to take a step back for, for I know more about engineer inclusion, but I want you to tell us about engineer inclusion so my listeners understand what that is and what kinds of things you're doing and what reactions you're getting. So it's sort of a step-by-step -step take us through because you're very systematic about it, I think, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so first of all, women and people of color continue to, to be persistently um, underrepresented within, within mm -hmm. engineering and physics and computer science and many technology pathways. Um, you know, when we look around engineering, women in the workforce represent around 14% of engineers. And then when you disaggregate by race, we see that both uh, Black people and Hispanic people are not representative of the number of people within our, you know, U.S. population. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's true across the globe, too. I just don't have all of the global numbers in my head. Right. But um, yeah, so people are consistently and persistently underrepresented. Um, there are lots of people who talk about a pipeline metaphor. I'm not a huge fan of that metaphor um, and the sense of it. it it's, it's problematic in, in many ways, but we can think about the fact that it does start really early, right? Like we have to have students who are interested in these pathways and there are so many root causes for understanding the participation and the completion and the persistence of people within these pathways. Right. Um, and so even when we think about, you know, some of the, you know, the number of students, female students who graduate from college with engineering degrees is higher than, than 13%, 14%. Um, in some cases, it's in the low twenties. Uh, they still aren't staying in industry. And honestly, I'm part of that statistic, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. 
I no longer am in industry. I made a choice to choose a different pathway uh, because of the culture and the climate, right? And that's why people leave. And so what the work that I do is I either I'm working with educational institutions and I'm working with industry to help them really begin to address some of the issues and culture of climate from both an interpersonal and an institutional level, right? Okay. So we need to help equip people with the knowledge and awareness, like my friend Tommy that I mentioned, right? Like we need to help them have that awareness of like what role they can play as a colleague, as a, a manager or as a, you know, a, a leader. But yet we also need to help them collectively take that skill and create institutional change that begins to better structure organizations to not marginalize people. Um, It's not engineering, but I think about, I was talking with some postdocs that work at UT Southwestern and like their neuroscience research area. And I was, uh, met them over the weekend and she said that they get zero time off for uh, pregnancy. Like they have no maternal maternity leave. Wow. And I was like, you're kidding, right? And she's like, no, I, she's like, I have a PhD. I'm a fourth year postdoc. I can't take maternity leave. And I only make $30,000 a year. And I'm like, well, this creates a really tough place of belonging, right? Do you feel valued? Do you feel affirmed? Not everybody needs money to feel valued and affirmed, but we all need to be able to pay our bills and live our lives. And so those are institutionalized issues that get put into place, right? And again, that's, you know, just a fresh story from someone I met this weekend, but we can look at the ways in which our leaders are creating structures, the ways in which we have potentially institutionalized racism and sexism and classism into our systems and not even known it right Mm -hmm. because the thing about systems is they're created by people Mm -hmm. and they are upheld by people and so until we both help people understand the ways in which they can interpersonally begin to make change and then use that same knowledge to again change the system we won't be able to make the the kinds of shifts that we need within our organizations and within those pathways that lead to those careers. Right. And, and for the women or, or those populations that are less represented to, to realize that they have the ability or then they need to push back, uh, which you didn't realize for, for the 10 years that you were working, you just kept trying to, you know, be the, the round peg that fit into the square hole kind of thing. So that's, that, that's something really interesting. Also, do you find when you're doing consulting and when you're having presenting to the educational institutions or the companies that you have women who also react to it in a, oh, I didn't realize that I was kind of enabling that behavior. Yeah. Well, I mean, I first want to say like the onus should not be on the marginalized to fix the system that oppresses Thank you for pointing that out. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Megan. Um, However, it is often those of us who are from marginalized populations within our fields that do take the, the lead. And I, I'm sure that there are many people, participants in my workshops and programs that I hope I'm teaching them something, right? Like um, I have evidence to suggest sure. that, right? But you know, I, I can I can tell you, like from my experience as a young engineer, 
um, I was told one day by um, a woman who later you know, became a, a mentor of mine. She was a senior vice president at TI. And uh, she said, Megan, I want you to go to this women in engineering event. And I was like, no, 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 like I'm good. Like <laughs> I, don't, I don't need help, I'm fine. Cause that's how I saw those groups. And mm-hmm. those, it's very common in industry to have these you know, employee resource groups. Right. And, and she's like, well, first of all, lesson number one, you don't say no to a senior vice president. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, okay, yes, yes, ma'am. Um, so I went to this meeting and it was really the first time that I had sat down with other women to like, li- to listen mm-hmm. and here in this, I remember also this very visceral feeling of like sitting at this huge, enormous bordering table in a room, the table was too big for the room. And there are all these like big bulky, like, you know, leather chairs around it. And these women start sharing their stories about how they had been, you know, marginalized and excluded. And I was like, I was like, what, wait, what? Like, that's not supposed to happen. It was, it was like telling me like, Hey, water is wet because it's all I knew. So I didn't even know all of the ways. Like I, I remember thinking like, Oh, you mean it's not okay for a guy to call me down to his basement office at 4.50 on a Friday and corner me and then put his hand on my knee and tell me that I need to say that. I was like, you mean I, that's not supposed to happen? And because I was young and I, it was all I knew. And I thought, this is what I have to do to survive in this space. Mm-hmm. And it was in that moment around that boardroom table that my like rose colored glasses were just ripped off. Yeah. And and I, cause I had no idea. I mean, I grew up playing, you know, male dominated sports. I grew up in a house full of boys. Um, it was all I knew. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it wasn't until I was surrounded with other women and realized these things. And I imagine that I'm not the only one, right. That experienced yeah. that sort of awakening of an awareness of, wow, this is not right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so just as much as we want to educate people from dominant groups, we also have an opportunity in this work to help people who are being marginalized and excluded okay. and discriminated against and oppressed in ways, recognize the ways in which they are. Right. Um, and then so, yes, you know, I have a client that I'll be working with for the next couple of months. And so I've got um, a series of workshops, a, a pair of workshops I'm doing with the leaders. And then I have a pair of workshops I'm doing with all of the women in technology. Nice. And so the women in technology, it's not about telling them, Hey, you need to fix the system that oppresses you. Right. It's about how do we not continue to hurt one another, right? Like how do we empower each other? Mm-hmm. And so that we can collectively lift each other up to make change. Yes. Because, you know, if you've heard of the theory, like the queen bee syndrome um like the movie mean girls Mm -hmm. is is based on this is like someone's dissertation actually Mm -hmm. um but this manifests in industry because there is a sense of scarcity Mm -hmm. that only so many women can make it to the top and so many many women unintentionally become these queen bees and then they they perpetuate their internalized oppression on other people because they're like, there's not room enough for all of us. So I've got to put you down and harm you. Um, and I think it's Margaret Thatcher quote, which um, Taylor Swift gets credit for too often, but like, you know, there's a special place in hell for women who don't support women. Um, and I think a lot of people who have been 
who have internalized the the oppression that they felt over time aren't even aware of the ways in which they are perpetuating those messages just as survival tactics and so we also get an opportunity to help people you know have an awareness of that so that we don't unintentionally contribute to those systems and structures that keep putting people down yeah so many layers to this you know to this discussion and and to, to, to the actual purpose of what you're, what you're doing. Um, I read in a bl- one of a blog post, blog post <laughs> on engineer inclusion, your website, um, quote, I believe, however, that once we learn to recognize inequities and expand our consciousness, we can take action to do something. This pattern is what changes environments and outcomes for everyone. So tell me a little bit more about it, what you do, um, the things that you've set up, because I know it's a work in progress for you. And obviously your journey has been really interesting because as you interact and present and work with different groups, you become more aware of the, those different layers. So I, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about we talked about, we started talking about belonging, but also that diversity, equity, and inclusion, empowerment for, for the marginalized groups, but also the awareness on the others. It sounds pretty massive. How do you go about doing that? Uh, one brick at a time. Uh. <laughs> uh, uh, that's my motto for everything, one brick at mm-hmm. a time. You know, I think about, um, you know, Stephen Covey gets credit for the spheres of influence, but it's actually, it's Greek stoicism is the origin of, mm. of those, you know, circles of influence. Mm-hmm. And I study, I like to read about, and I try to practice the, the ancient art of stoicism. Um, but really it's focusing on what can I control? And if I can't control it, then I gotta yes. let it go. And then thinking about where can I influence? And as all of us, as our lives and our careers progress, those circles of what we can control and what we can influence expand and contract over time. Sure. And, you know, there are lots of things that the third circle, concentric circle is the circle of concern. Like, what is it that I care about? But I got to let it go because I can't control it and I can't influence it. You know, a lot of my work is helping people to recognize what is it that you can do within your sphere of influence, within mm-hmm. your sphere of control. And let's tackle that and make some progress. So if I'm working with, you know, a 12th grade teacher, physics teacher, they've got one circle of control and influence that may be different than a CEO of a firm, right? right. And so I, you know, I'm trying to help people think about what is it that's within their capacity to lead change within those yeah. spaces. And so it is very different. And, you know, my goal and what I love to do as, as a professional is to take all of this amazing research, you know, the scholars have created Mm -hmm. and then help it make sense. Right. (laughs) And then put, help people put it into practice. Um, And so that's really what I get to do as, as an instructor, as a speaker, as a facilitator, is I take all of the the research that I can, you know, distill down Mm -hmm. into practices that help us as leaders and all of us are leaders, whether you have power or not. Right. And that's something that's really important and foundational to my work and my belief. Um, But thinking about what is it that we can do Another key piece of my work is helping people to understand and see systems. 
And this is so important because people mm. who have benefited from the systems often don't see that there is a system, right? When we look right. at the, the, the national conversation in the U.S. right now, there are half dozen or more states who either have or are in the process of legislating language that basically says systemic racism doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And it does. And the just as systemic sexism exists, systemic classism exists, systemic, yes. you know, like all of the isms <laughs> exist. Mm-hmm. But the people who have benefited from the systems don't see that they've benefited because the system works for them, right? Right. And so helping people, and this is particularly useful, I think, you know, in working with engineers, because engineers, they understand systems, like in systems that they're working with. Oh, right. With. Yeah. And so I can help them say, like, if you've got a system here, well, why isn't there a system here, you know, in the mm-hmm. world that we function? Right. And so helping people, it's, it is also a lens. It's learning to identify and see the systems mm-hmm. around us and to see the ways in which we are upholding systems that we may not even realize the ways in which we are participating and benefiting from systems that we may not even realize and then building a skill set and a practice to change those systems and so again like there's so many layers to the work you know I I do a lot of I do a lot of keynotes uh, that's I like to do that that's really fun but I really love teaching people and helping them yeah. over an extended period of time so I like when I get longer engagements with groups so that I can help them learn and then think and then come back and learn again and continue conversation because right. I want to give teams I want to give them a shared vocabulary so that they can continue to talk about and think about the ways in which these things are Absolutely. manifesting on a daily basis, right? Because Mm -hmm. a one hit isn't going to lead change, but over sustained engagements, they can. Mm -hmm. I also work with clients using process improvement strategies. So, you know, drawing from like the Six Sigma process improvement models to help Mm -hmm. them begin to address change systematically. Um, And so those are usually longer term engagements um, that include professional learning, as well as a scaffolded process for beginning to address and increase targeted outcomes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think if I remember your question correctly, it was, what are some of the things that I'm doing? I may have gotten a little off track there. No, (laughs) it's wonderful. I'm I'm so fascinated by, like I said, the, the layers of it and actual I love the idea of research to practice because we often don't see that. We either see the research, which seems so out of touch with reality, and those practitioners who don't really see that the research applies to them or can't figure out how to use it in a practical sense. So I love that. I know engineer inclusion, uh, you've been consulting for a long time, but engineer Mm -hmm. inclusion is only a, a few years old, but I'm wondering, how you see the development of when you have that ability to have that ongoing relationship and be able to see them through the different parts of the process. What, what is that like um, as, as you see them go through it? And, you know, from their point of view, from what kind of reactions do you get from them? And what are you seeing? What are you observing as, as you go through that with them? Well, one, um, example I can pull from is a client that I worked with in South Carolina, and it was the South Carolina Technical College System. And I worked with them over the course of about seven months. 
And in this instance, I had the ability to do a pre and a post test so I could measure growth. And so I was trying to understand and measure the growth of the knowledge, the attitudes and the behaviors, as well as a self-efficacy, which is their belief that they can employ the things that I've been teaching them. Yes. Uh, And we saw significant growth, not only in their knowledge, many of the attitudes that they had were already what we wanted. Mm -hmm. Like they believed the things that we wanted them to believe, but I gave them more knowledge and they changed their behaviors as a result of their, their experience in this seven month program. Um, And so those are the kinds of things that I want to see. It's not only about awareness of like, yeah, I believe that people should be equal. Okay. That's great. And do you know a little bit more about that? And do you have Mm -hmm. some behaviors that you can employ to, to make that more of a reality? Right. Uh, and then how confident do you feel in your ability to employ those skills? And so, so I love to see data that, that I get to measure over extensions like that. But with this one particular client, um, I, was, I was chatting with her months after the, the pre and the post test had been finalized. And she said, you know, you helped a 40 year veteran within their system change their worldview. And they now talk about and think about equity and inclusion within career and technical education pathways. And to me, that's a tremendous win, right? Wow. Like, I, I firmly believe that people are good hearted. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I think that sometimes people can lose focus on the greater good that we can become myopic in our worldviews. And sometimes some of those people are participants in my mm-hmm. programs and workshops And sometimes they have a lot to say. What I have found is that when you experience some of this like intense cognitive dissonance, that many times the people who are the most vocal and outspoken are the ones who have the biggest growth in the end, you know, Mm -hmm. and maybe it sounds hyperbolic, but like I am trying to change hearts and minds, you know? I'm yeah. trying to help people recognize ways that we can yeah. not only be kinder, more inclusive humans, but we can see the world around us. So we can begin to see the ways in which other people have are experiencing life different than us based on characteristics of their identities that they can't control. Sure. And well, how do we be a part of a solution to create a more equitable and inclusive world? And so that's really a big part of my work. And the, the award is seeing people who are changing not only their attitudes and their beliefs, but their behaviors and beginning to lead and facilitate change. Um, that's what's most exciting. Um, right. And what, and I, you, what I hope it, to see. Yeah. And you could do it one person at a time. And those you're able to affect, that's wonderful. You know, like you talked about, and especially these days where we feel everything is out of our control, but we do have that ability to control certain things. It's a matter of of being aware of what that is and having that effect on those things that we can control. So I I think there's there's so much there to, to learn from that what you were just talking about. You, and I'm quoting now, utilize metaphorical projectors and mirrors to shine a light on micro and macro social systems that, when adjusted, improve student, employee, and organizational success. And 
I know when you're talking students, or I think when you're talking students, you're talking about students who are, are older, who are already in that engineering program. But I'm wondering how that, you know, I mean, you were a student K to 12 also, if there's any kind of advice or, or insights that you could give as a result of what you're doing at, at the corporate and maybe higher education level for K-12 teachers or even for middle school, high school teachers in the STEM field. Yeah. I work with lots of K-12 teachers. Oh, wonderful. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and that's actually the lion's share of the work I've done the last decade is with K-12. And my dissertation research was focused on uh, experiences of girls in high school. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, so I used the, as I, in in my introduction, I talked about, I worked on these tiny mirrors. And Mm -hmm. so, so much of this work and equity and inclusion work is about helping people to see a mirror, right? Yes. And to see themselves, not only to see their reflection of how their identity affects how they move through the world, but to see themselves in relation to the experiences of other people. And so, you know, I use the mirror as a metaphor to think about, we need to learn to look in, we need to learn to look bigger and broader to see out. And then when we begin to adjust those lenses, when we, when we begin to adjust the ways in which we work, we can change the outcomes for students, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one of the programs I'm working on is through the National Science Foundation. It's a, a funded program and we're starting year four of that and so we just had a, one of our team meetings right before you and I talked, Eileen, nice. and, um, and we have come up with a really like beautiful, we're so excited. Like we're all so thrilled because we just had this brainstorming session to decide what are we going to do for our fourth year, mm-hmm. because it's going to be different than the past three years. And, you know, we're thinking about how are we bringing in educators who have been through our engineering and equity training. So we've had, they've had we've had three cohorts. They've been through those year long programs. They've done action research to employ equity practices within their science and engineering um, programs. Mm-hmm. And they've learned some electrical engineering um, concepts and lessons. Wow. And so we're talking about how are we going to pull them back for this fourth year and empower them to truly employ and activate and practice the things that, that they've learned over the course mm-hmm. of their time through this program. Yes. Because teachers, I, I, I love teachers because I think that they give, they sacrifice so much of their life and their health and their mm-hmm. well-being to serve, to serve students. Um, they do not get paid enough. They do not get enough respect and lots and lots of other things. Um, and so many of them, care so passionately about serving students and improving Mm -hmm. outcomes Mm -hmm. and what we get to do through you know my work that I you know I work with other organizations to as well is to empower them with the tools and the skills to see what's within my circle of influence what's within my control Mm -hmm. and how do I begin to lead the change within that um, and so we're, again, just helping them to see what part we play in the system and how do we begin to make some change? Yeah, that must, must be so exciting to see that the way that they feel empowered 
by being able to put what they learned into practice. So I can see why you're all so excited about the fourth year, if that's you know where you're headed and, and to know that you've had that length of time with them. So, so that sounds so awesome. Megan, this has been fantastic. I have had no idea. I mean, I left a bunch of my questions because there were so many other things that I was fascinated and interested in pursuing with what you were saying. So, but I just want to ask you before we finish up, is there anything that you wanted to talk about or anything that I didn't ask you? Well, I just want to welcome and encourage everyone to visit my website, engineerinclusion.com, um, sign up for my newsletter. I Every email, I 100% commit to send something that adds value to you and to your journey. Mm -hmm. Um, I wish I sent something more often than I did, but I'm like good to get something out once a month, I think. Um, but if you want to um, learn about all of the resources, because I one of the things that's really important to me is that I share basically everything that I create. And so everything that I develop, I put out on my website for people to use. If you, if you need help in using those, you can ask me for help um, as a service provider. But really, I think I'm just trying to create tools for people who are empowered to, to want to lead some change within their circles of influence. Um, and so I hope that you check out my website because I've got tons of great tools and resources that you can use um, within your work. And even though we've uh, much, much of our conversation has been focused on engineering, really, it's just, it's good for any team. Um, Absolutely. And, yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and so while I've worked mostly within STEM and career and technical education pathways, it's, it's really useful for everyone. And so, um, and, and I try to write things that are, that are accessible to all populations. And so mm -hmm. please check that out, join my mailing list. And, um, if you want to, uh, check out the Ted talk, you can go to engineeringinclusioncom slash ILD, which is inclusive leadership development. So. So engineerinclusion.com slash ILD. And then you can watch the TED Talk. I created a discussion guide. Um, so to help people who like, if you want to have, you know, a team meeting and your coworkers, you all watch it, it's 11 minutes. And then I've got um, several page discussion guide to give you some questions to, to facilitate some conversation around the shared language that hopefully the, that you're able to create in that time. I encourage you to do that. Um, and I just, you know, I want to offer encouragement. I, I think many of your listeners, Eileen, are, are educators, right? Right. And just, uh, you know, encourage you, encourage them, um, to those of you who are listening to this, mm -hmm. that, you know, the work that you do is so important and that you have such a tremendous opportunity to lead and transform change. And I just, I, you know, want to send all like good vibes and support to you because the times that we're facing right now, educators, you know, my clients and participants across the country, they're all burnt out and they're stressed and they're not yes. getting what they need from their administration. Um, and I just want you to know that I see you and we need you and please keep supporting our students for as long as you can. Um, and I, my fear is that we see a great resignation of I've educated my brother has left education um because yes. of yes it's unfortunate yeah it really is and and you know your words are, are so heartfelt and and sincere but 
because you're within that space and you, you understand the importance of that, but you also see that there is a path for them to be able to feel empowered, which many of them who are resigning right now or feeling burnt out don't feel they have that power at all um, to voice. And I've seen it you know, on social media and I'm, I'm sure you have. I can also vouch for the fact that over the couple of months since I had looked at your website, uh, a lot has in, in, increased in terms of different kinds of resources. And um, I, I love the website. It, there's so much there, really. So I would second the motion and vouch for the fact that, yes, people will really find a, a lot to take away from from the website and to sign up for your newsletter also. Where else, if they want to look for you, where else can they find you, Megan? Um, I'm most active on LinkedIn. So you can follow, um, connect with me, follow me. Um, I have an engineering inclusion page as well. Um, I like to pretend that I'm active on the other pages, but I haven't figured out how to have time for all of those things. There's yet. so many hours um, in a day. Yes. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to learn more about the work that others are doing and Mm -hmm. I'd love to learn from other people as well. And so connect with me there. Um, I, on my website, I keep a, on the homepage, like where I'm going to be teaching and presenting. And so again, if you're on my mailing list, you'll hear about opportunities that are open, uh, for anybody to come listen and learn. If you're interested, I also have on my, uh, on my website, a, a network. And so it's, I was a, wondering about that. Can you talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit? Yeah. So it's called the engineer inclusion network. It's, um, it's a space that I have created, curated to build community with people who are wanting to find connection with others who care about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so I also use it to to create courses. So I share some content on that network as well. Nice. Um, but I am, I'm working hard to kind of generate more community conversations. And so it's outside of Facebook. So it's a, it's, it's safe from that network. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, a, it's, it is a basically a private social network, um, mm-hmm. but it's open and it's free. And um, so I encourage anybody to join us there and just find community. I do like monthly networking events, Mm -hmm. post discussion prompts and things like that. And so um, that's another way that you can plug in and connect with the work that I'm doing. Awesome. I'll be sure to sign up as soon as we get off here. Great. Thanks, Eileen. Thank you, Megan. This was absolutely fantastic. Uh, I've learned so much from you. I had learned already just from watching your TED Talk and looking at your website and the chat that we had a couple of months ago, but really deeply grateful for, and I think it's so timely. I think people need to hear this. And so I'm looking forward to putting it out there um, in, in, a, in a bit. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for the opportunity to talk with you and to connect and for elevating my work. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're inspired by what you heard, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about belonging, check my website, Journeys to Belonging, that's Journeys2Belonging.webstarts.com. 
See you next week.